0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: So uh, welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. It's a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Neta Yodovich about women negotiating feminism and science fiction fandom, the case of the good fan. Uh, so welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh,
1: this is a great book. Uh, it was incredibly uh, interesting. Um, I, I sort of was reflecting on like my own position as kind of a sci-fi fan um, and my own sort of relationship uh, to this this genre, as well as actually learning quite a lot about things like contemporary fandom as an area of of research, broadly, you know, kind of questions of of gender, feminism, inclusion, exclusion. So lots of different um, kind of academic themes as, as well as the sort of fascinating core case study. And I guess the place to start with the book is probably uh, a question about what it's actually about. And I guess for, for many listeners, we'll have a kind of a sense of what fandom is and what that means, but actually you use it, I guess, in in quite a, a kind of specific way in the book. So what actually is fandom? What, what are you actually writing about?
0: Yeah, well, it's a very um, challenging question, I think, because... Um, one of the main themes of the book is uh, exclusion and inclusion and who gets to decide who's included or not. So defining fandom is automatically, it automatically means that I will have to decide who is included in that concept and who is not. Um, but if I have to try to still uh, come up with a with a conceptualization of the term, I would say that it's first and foremost, uh, an emotional connection. To a, a popular culture content or celebrity or um, artist, um, and and you you just feel connected to them. You care about them. You care what's what what they're doing, what they're up to, um, what they feel, what they experience. And second thing is, it's also a cognitive connection. It's an intellectual connection. You want to know everything there is to know about that person, about that series, about the books. Um, You want to analyze everything. And again, it's because you care. You you love it so much that you feel like you always have to, to be involved with it in some way. Um, The other two elements um, that are very important in fandom are are the participation elements, which is um, again because you want to be involved because you want to do something with all of these emotions you want to maybe create so you write uh, fan fiction or you create fan art fan videos and the list goes on and on and the last thing which is something that um, is very uh, prominent in my in my book is the community element is the social element so you have all these emotions you want to sometimes to share them with other people. You want to be excited with other people who are also excited about the same thing. So you go and you search for for like-minded individuals and maybe then you also become a member of a community, whether it's online or offline. Um, And these are pretty much uh, the the four main uh, um tenets of uh, of what fandom is it's the emotion it's the it's the intellectual connection it's the the practice and it's the community
1: i mean that element of, of, of community the final uh point you, you make there it, it is quite a nice way of getting into i guess why sci-fi in, in particular can be quite problematic. Um, and one of the things that runs right the way through the book is is the kind of idea that on the one hand, you've got a genre that is sort of open to anybody and everybody, um, but also on the other hand is really not <laughs> open to anybody and everybody. Um, and in particular, the book uses the case study um, of feminist women. Um, and I wonder if, if you could sketch out, I guess, sort of, not what the problem of sci-fi is exactly, but but why sci-fi is, is kind of both a good case study and where some of the tensions come for... Um... Feminist uh, women fans, which obviously is you know we're going to talk in, in detail about.
0: Yeah, so if it's okay, I will start with with the feminism part, um, which is so I was interested in, in fandom, of course, but I was also interested in how feminist women negotiate their fan their fanish interests, and that's because I am a feminist fan. Uh, I've been a fan for many, many years now, and um, I started realizing as I got older, as I got wiser, hopefully, um, that some of my fandoms are problematic, or that's not even my the fandoms, just some artists, directors, um, that I appreciated their work, and I realized maybe I should stop watching their movies because of things that they've done. And it was a really difficult decision to make, to to, to know that you love what they do, but you can't take part of in that anymore. Um, so I was interested in understanding how do other people solve this tension? Mostly because I wanted to know how to solve the tensions that I experienced. And um, science fiction is a case, well, first and foremost, I would say that um, it, it tends to be the genre that is most uh, explored in, um, in fan studies. Probably also because the people who are fan studies, scholars, they are uh, fans of science fiction. So it's also the, the first thing that you would go to. So that was also the first thing that came in my mind when I chose my case studies. And I think it is also one of the things that are studied the most or one of the genres that is studied the most is because science fiction and fantasy, they offer a, a different world, a world that could have completely different norms, different um, social structures, and, and of course, different understandings of uh, gender and ethnicity and and disability. And um, so there's so much hope, so much to, to gain from such a genre. But at the end, and especially with a very successful um, um, content or franchises like Star Wars and Doctor Who, which were the case studies that I chose, um, they tend to disappoint. Um, maybe not everyone. And, and I, I don't think that they're always doing a terrible job. Not at all. I think they're in a great gray area where sometimes they do incredible things in terms of representation of, uh, of women or uh, people of color, uh, but sometimes they, they do it quite badly. And then the people who do want to see this kind of um, diversity and do want to see or want to believe that the franchises that they are a fan of, that they are a feminist, um, they tend to get a bit disappointed. Um, by, by them. And the last thing <laughs> that I want to, to comment on is, of course, the community, um, which um, sci-fi, for, for, I guess for different reasons, is considered a male-dominated uh, fandom. Um, And even though women were involved from the beginning, even with Star Wars, um, you would see women lining up uh, to watch, you know, whatever movie that came out just as much as men. Uh, And still it was associated more with men and more with like boys or teenagers. Um, So it's, again, that thing of also what do you do when you want to be part of, of the community? You want to be um, um, regarded as a fan um, but you're considered kind of second class uh, because you're a woman or if we're looking from an intersectional point of view because you're a woman of color. Um, so these are all the challenges that I wanted to unpack in this book.
1: Yeah actually the intersectionality is, is a really key point and it, it comes up um, sort of several times in the book um, And and I wonder if we could sort of pause and and, and think about it in the context of how um, your participants, these uh, feminist women uh, fans of sci-fi kind of get into sci-fi, but also how they have to manage things like their gender, their ethnicity, their age, uh, when they're thinking about their relationship to the genre and and then their kind of, um, almost their kind of status or their, you know, sort of, legitimacy as fans
0: yeah um thank you for that question i think well first of all i had incredible interviewees all of them were so insightful and they really um you know, shared with me all their experiences and I'm very thankful to them. Um, So yeah, it was very interesting in terms of how they got to become uh, fans of science fiction or specifically Doctor Who and Star Wars. So um, I will give a few examples of like the interesting things that I found. So um, there were those who became fans because their fathers were fans of, uh, of science fiction or fantasy. And what was interesting about that is that they somehow, I don't know what the intention of the dads uh, were because I I didn't interview them, Um, but what my interviewees learned from their dads is that being a science fiction fan, as a girl, it makes you cool. It makes you different from other girls. So at first it sounded very exciting to them, But when they kept thinking more about it, or when I analyzed what they were saying, it's basically that they learned that it's cool because it's not for girls. It's for boys. And you are more special than other girls because you're interested in something that is not for you. So that makes you different. um, That um, separates you from the girls who like the princesses and, you know, or dressed in pink Um, but it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way because you understand that it's not made made for you Um, so that was one thing and another thing was with um, I had some uh, interviewees who are identified as as black women or uh, mixed ethnicities um, and they talked about how Their families could not understand why they were fans of Star Trek or Star Wars or Doctor Who, um, because it seemed so white to them. And they didn't understand why they would find any interest in something that does not represent them at all. And I had one interviewee who said that her dad actually asked her to uh, to. uh, Then it was they used VCRs, so to uh, record uh, Star Trek when it aired every week. Um, But he kind of never talked to anybody about it. He never said that he he liked Star Trek. Um, Even though it's quite diverse, it's considered quite a diverse show, but he kept it a secret because it wasn't really appropriate to be a a black man who is interested in uh, science fiction.
1: One of the things that comes through, I mean, you you sort of flagged the, how can I phrase it, the kind of, yeah, that the weirdness um, that, that kind of gets thrown um, at some of your fans for liking particular things. One of the things that comes through is that it's not just the kind of um, responsibility of of the fans that were your participants um, in terms of you know how they relate to, to the genre and, and their fandom. Actually, they encounter... Um, quite a lot of kind of gatekeeping. So, you know, the shaping of something like Star Wars as a, you know, coded white um, phenomenon or, you know, Star Trek being seen as maybe slightly more diverse, but, you know, maybe still um, not uh, as kind of racially open as, as maybe it might otherwise be. It's not just the kind of a product of what's in these shows, but also it's a product of kind of gatekeeping practices um, predominantly, actually, by men in, in in kind of sci-fi fandom communities, and I was really taken by this idea of conditional belonging that you tease out. I think in in the middle of the book, um, and I'm sort of keen to know more about that, but also keen to hear about how um, I guess the kind of you know the the sense of belonging is not just something that comes from the feminist uh, sci-fi fans themselves, but also they're sort of up against. You know some kind of barriers actually that, that are generated by um what i as the reader kind of thought was, was sort of bad behavior from then.
0: yeah um so yeah um conditional belonging is a concept that i'm quite happy uh, that i um in, came up with kind of it was used in the literature uh, at least in the literature that i found before but somehow never um actually explained um so i was happy to kind of try to to do it myself um, so the idea of conditional belonging is um, when a newcomer or someone who is perceived as a newcomer uh, joins a, a, an established group, and they are they don't have access to to a full access to everything that the the group or the community can. Can allow them to have, and in order to be fully uh, included, they have to align, they have to conform with the norms, with the values of the group. They are not allowed to challenge anything, um, and if they do, they will just be rejected. And the idea of, um, or another important aspect of conditional belonging is that sometimes it's it's implicit. It's not like someone will tell you, "No, you can't, you can't go to Comic Con." You'd stay at home. Nobody will tell you that. But once you go to Comic Con or you know to a local uh, science fi- science fiction convention, you will implicitly get some um, different comments or looks or behaviors that will make you understand that you do not belong there, or you you do not belong there as much as other people might. Um, so that's the idea of conditional belonging, and um, in terms of yeah, so it, it, sometimes it's not really the ma- a matter of what the franchise offers because, um, as you said, as we both said, in Star Trek they have quite a, a diverse cast. In Star Wars, they, 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 they in recent years, introduced many um, characters from different ethnic backgrounds. Um, And yet the community itself usually um, is quite defensive when that thing happens. Um, And there are cases of severe backlash um, towards these characters. And uh, what was interesting is that um, the women that I interviewed, they said that they take it personally when someone uh attacks for instance the character of rose in um, in star wars um because they say she's me that that character is me that actress is me she is a woman from an asian background or from any other um, marginalized ethnicity background and she wants to be included she's she is so passionate about star wars but they just don't want to have her And I I relate to that, I feel that way. So this is one of many, many cases where um, women, the women that I interviewed understood that they they can maybe be there in the community, but they're not supposed to talk about certain things. Again, if it's offline or online, I had women who said that in certain online communities, they will not um, say that they are women um, they will not obviously say that there are feminists they will not talk about certain things or raise um, different kinds of critiques in certain communities because they know that they will get a huge backlash um, so they just don't and that's again one of those mechanisms that nobody really talks about and uh, but but everybody is aware that it happens so it's it, it ends up into a mechanism of self-policing, where the women themselves end up just not saying anything just from being afraid that they will be attacked.
1: Look, Bumble knows
0: you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne. Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
1: You you mentioned Rose, and um, Rose is is a kind of fascinating character in in lots of different ways. And and towards the end of the book, you you sort of juxtapose Rose um, with with, with Leia um, from, from Star Wars. So... I mean, I sort of assume people know uh, who these characters are, but uh, I guess, you know, Rose comes into Star Wars comparatively late um, in the uh, eighth and ninth um, films. Obviously, Princess Leia is is sort of, you know, in in the original trilogy and and obviously is important um, in in the later uh, sequels um, as well and is maybe a bit kind of better known. Um, And it was interesting that, your research tried to go beyond just, I guess, kind of um, how do um, feminist women describe themselves as science fiction fans, but also to think about how they interpret and kind of deal with um, the representations of of particular iconic characters um, in the genre they love. And earlier, you mentioned, you know, some of the things you yourself as a fan like, but maybe find problematic because of the director or problematic because of particular representations. And it was really interesting to see how... Your participants responded to characters like Leia, who has been presented in ways that are kind of incredibly strong and positive, and then in ways that are highly problematic. Um, And similarly, you know, with Rose, who um, on the one hand was presented in you know a really kind of positive and strong role, and then later on is kind of completely marginalized and almost ignored. So, what was the kind of um, interpretation, and, and how did? Um, your participants kind of navigate um, some of these, I suppose, quite ambivalent elements of these characters?
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, I think that that was a really interesting way to talk about feminism because obviously not all feminists think think alike. Um, what, What one might find empowering, the other will find concerning. And, um, and this is another kind of friction that I'm interested in. So what is, like, the proper way to be a feminist? Or um, is there such a thing? Or who is uh, a feminist icon? And can she be always, like, perfect, always feminist, always, like, on point? Or are there moments of friction? So I'll start with Leia. Um, obviously, yeah, Leia is, is a huge, first of all, icon. I'm sure that... Even the people who've who've never seen uh, Star Wars, they know. They know her, her face. They know her white uh, gown, robe, um, and they also know the sex slave Leia outfit. Um, and these are two interesting uh, representations of of the same character. So. Um, obviously with with the, with the you know the, the gun fight the gun shooting Leia, um, the the witty uh, uh, snarky Leia everybody loves that version. Um, but then it gets more tricky, uh, when it gets to the, to the sex, to the sex slave Leia, uh, where I really had two different approaches, um, with the feminists that I interviewed, where some found it, uh, very empowering and they found it, um, I'll explain that there is um, is a scene in Return of the Jedi that, um, when, Sla- uh, when Leia is, um, captured by Jabba the Hutt and he, um, shackles her with chains and she and he like um he he grabs the chains whenever he's annoyed and kind of brings her closer to his body um and the the clothes that she's wearing are very revealing it's basically a bikini uh, a gold bikini um and At a certain point, uh, Leia used the chains that he used uh, in order to capture her, to keep her captivated, and she strangles him, she kills him. So for some feminists, they found it a a beautiful depiction of a woman bringing down, you know, the patriarchy with its own chains, basically, Um, and and they found it very, very empowering. Um, But there were the ones who said, um, who talked about the issue of consent, and they said that it would have been nice if she chose the character to be dressed this way and to be a sex slave, uh, basically, um, but she didn't, and she was she was captured, um, and therefore there's nothing empowering about being like dressed this way. Or, um, and they also mentioned the fact that um, the actress um, Carrie Fisher that she was very uncomfortable being in those scenes, that she had to have a strict diet and in order to, you know, dress that, wear that bikini. And um, so it goes even beyond uh, what you see on screen. So if you think about what the actress had to go through and how she will forever be known for that uh, bikini, they found it quite upsetting. Another uh, version of Leia that I want to mention before moving on to Rose is um, General uh, Organa at the end of um, Leia's kind of uh, plot line, which had to end up uh, quite abruptly, um, sadly because of Carrie Fisher's passing. Um, But that was also an interesting case because I didn't mention, but age was another thing Another identity, I could say, that I looked into um, in this study. And I saw how the older uh, interviewees that I had, I had women who were um, like 50 year olds, and they were quite upset with the way that the media talked about Carrie Fisher when she reprised her role later in life and how people kept asking, oh, is she still good looking or is she not? Oh, she looks old for her age and compare and nobody did that with with the other uh, actors who also reprised their roles. They only did it to her. So it was, and it was interesting that it was the the older interviewees who really paid attention to that. And again, they really identified with that, and they felt um, quite uh, again concerned. And again, as a sign that they're not included uh, in this in this community anymore, because they are also not young and, and as attractive as they were when they were younger. So that is the case of um, of Leia. And with Rose, it was, um, yeah, to, to, to put it as simply, it was a huge mess. It ended up being a huge mess um, because the the fandom, and when I say the fandom, it's not everyone, of course, um, but there were very uh, loud voices in the fandom who were quite uh, um, angry and her character didn't want her to be included, and they again, it, it wasn't just the character; they also attacked the actress who had to basically shut down all her social media platforms uh, or accounts. Um, so this was yet another uh, another example for 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 my interviewees um, to understand that they're not that they're not included and i will mention that because of the backlash in the last uh movie uh rose barely had any like spoken like words coming out of her mouth like she was basically just um you know just someone in the background didn't have any kind of um speaking didn't have a speaking role basically so so the women that i interviewed saw it as a sign. see like they are so scared of all those angry fans that they were able to do this to Rose. Um, They didn't listen to us who really liked Rose, they listened to them. So this is yet another example that we are kind of second class citizens in this fandom.
1: Those two um, characters and the sets of reactions, I guess, are quite nice examples of Some of the kind of tactics uh, that feminist women fans use both, you know, to kind of uh, reclaim ownership of um, perhaps problematic representations and to say, actually, you know, there are things that um, studios or writers um, have decided on that we really disagree with and, and we want to change. And also at the same time, you know, kind of push back against uh backlash and you know sort of challenge the idea that they only have conditional belonging to sci-fi fandom and i I think this is a really important sort of element of the kind of conclusions that the book comes to you know the, the kind of the agency um that both your participants but um feminist women fans more more generally have in terms of kind of changing sci-fi as a genre and changing what sci-fi fandom means as well. And I wonder if you could give um, some examples of those those kind of tactics.
0: Yes, um, yeah. so um, one of the chapters in the book is, well, after I, <laughs> I um, go quite on and on about all the problems and all the challenges and all the frictions, uh, I then introduce the tactics that um, my interviewees uh, used in order to try to reconcile um the tensions that they feel um so I had um like two umbrella Uh, uh, terms for the tactics one was narrative tactics and one was practice tactics so with the narrative tactics it it included the kinds of um, rationale that they come up with in order to organize their identities their thoughts their values to to themselves and also if they have to ever explain it to someone else um so these included for instance um that long word that i hope i will <laughs> be able to pronounce without getting my tongue tied uh, compartmentalization um which is basically they would say okay i notice i noticed the problems it's not like i didn't notice them but i choose not to pay attention to that and pay attention to the things that still make me happy and things that i still love about the franchise whatever it, it might be um, and so that was one thing. And the other thing was also, um, it, I called it imperfect feminism. So basically, what they would say so again, it's that I, them identifying with their fandom. So they would say, I'm not a perfect feminist. I sometimes get things wrong. I, so, I still need to grow and learn and, and become a better feminist. And so does my French, my favorite franchise. So I see that they're trying. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But we're both learning uh, and growing. So that was um, one another thing that they came up with. And with the practice tactics, um, so it included different fanish uh, um, practices that are quite f- uh, well known uh, in fan studies. So, again, they might uh, go and write fan fiction where they would fix problems, they would fix plot lines that they didn't like, they would fix characters that they thought were misrepresented. Um, and that would be one way to kind of gain more ownership um, and, and 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 envision the 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 fandom or the franchise that they want to to see. Um, in other cases, um, so in terms of consumption, they would um, make sure to only buy. Let's say uh, the female characters, uh, whatever kind of merchandise that was related to them in terms of like Star Wars, there was a big campaign uh, when Ray was first introduced, uh, which was uh, hashtag where's Ray because she was the star, and yet none of the you know the the merchandise featured her at least in the beginning. So they would make sure to buy whatever ray uh, merchandise they found and also they emphasize that they also do it those who are mothers did it for for their children so they would play they would be familiar or they would uh, practice um playing also with with female figurines so if they had boys they won't only buy them the luke skywalkers they would buy them the rays the uh the princess leia's so they would you know. They would also be interested in, in 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 female characters and not just in the in the male characters. Um, they also talked about and I will, I will mention it because um, I think it's quite important. They also mentioned finding alternative communities, um, which is a big question on its own. But I had women who said, "Look, I'm tired. I don't want to. You know, I I I, I don't I don't think that the burden of Bringing a change to the community should rely on me. Should rely on those who are in power, let's say. Should uh, should rep- uh, should rely on those who, yeah, who have more agency, more control over the fandom. They are the ones who should actually bring the change i am tired of this i'm finding an alternative more safe uh community where i'm not the minority anymore where i'm the you know the majority or i'm with my equals um and that's what i'm going to do i'm not going to try to be uh uh, accepted to get accepted to a, a community that doesn't want me um so that was another thing
1: The book ends with with this, uh, I think, really brilliant question, uh, which is, what can we learn from from the case of feminist women fans? And from what you were saying there in terms of the narrative and kind of practice tactics, I mean, that's one really obvious thing, isn't it? In terms of what uh, individuals and communities can can do um, across a range of different, not just fandom uh, or genre uh, examples, but actually across a whole range of different uh, kind of social settings. but I guess there are kind of other elements uh, that the book teases out. Um, and I suppose, yeah, that the, the kind of the way to conclude is is to repeat that question, really. What can we learn from, from this case study? What, what do you think are the sort of broader insights that go beyond um, just um, this example?
0: Yeah, I think I'll, I'll explain why also it's there, um, why I, I, I put that in the book, um, even before I answer the question, and, and that's because I'm, I'm I'm from I'm a sociologist. Uh, that's my my the department that I'm in. The departments I've always been part of, and um, sometimes um, it seems like. Keep, and, and it's not just for a sociologist, I think it's for many people who study fans. It's it feels like it's why are you studying this when there are way more um, urgent things to study in the world, like much more important, much more, uh, uh, you know, related to policy and, and to all sorts of things. So why are, are you wasting uh, your time? And um, so I always felt like I had to defend not just my research, but, you know, the the field um, as much as I could. Um, And I think that actually there's so much to learn from, from fans because it's, it's an identity that people are so passionate about. And I I hope I, I said it a few times, so I hope it's, um, it, it it comes, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's clear enough, but yeah, people are so passionate about it. And it's, it is like a, a, a microcosmos of the, of, of the bigger society, especially because there are so many different frictions, um, and, um, and, um, and conflicts that are related to to really important topics so again like racism and sexism ableism ageism um, and and because people are so passionate about that they speak about it so um, so openly and explicitly and so I think it's a great opportunity to to um, to learn about people you um, um, exclude or include, or gatekeep, and these kind of, so with conditional belonging, I think it's something that could be used in many different um, um, research and studies, so it could be, uh, and, and again, the, the the case in general could be related to, uh, to issues of women who uh, work in a masculine profession, or uh, religious people trying to, um, you know, negotiate um, things that are, you know their affinity to things that are more not they're not really religious so i think there's a lot of things that people can take from from the book and from its findings and implement it to their research where it's you know could be something completely different than fan studies but um the fan studies matters um it, it really does um there's so much to learn so that's why I, I i put it in the book and it's one of the things that kind of conclude the book uh, and hopefully i it, it comes across
1: in the book You've set out, I guess, what could be a really broad agenda moving from the book there uh, in terms of your own work, you know, examples of how you might apply things beyond fan studies. But also um, one of the things that uh, I got from the book was a sense of actually there's lots more kind of interesting questions, comparative work, you know, lots of of things about different genres that could um, come from the book. Uh, there's, you know, kind of further Contributions to to fan studies. So so, where do you go, kind of next? What are you sort of, you know, thinking of in, in terms of next projects, or, or possibly even next books?
0: Oh, that's a that's a very good uh, question. Um, something that I'm really interested in is going beyond um the individual, and I'll, I'll explain. Um, many of my interviewees talked about their boyfriends or husbands, partners. Um. And again, that kind of uh, the way that their boyfriends or husbands are treated when they go, for instance, to like a gaming store um, in comparison to how they are treated. So I, I, I would love to study more the dynamic between couples especially couples who are interested in in similar popular culture content and the way that they shape each other and um, their different experiences um, with the fandom or just with consuming um, whatever it might be. So that is something that I hope I will get to to do in the future, um, hopefully.